One casualty of so much time working from home is that we haven't really kept up with this. The down and back mailbag. Here's one from Jessica, who writes, Dear Bud, I see a lot on the AKC site and on AKC TV about recognized breeds. What does it mean, recognized, and how does breed recognition come about? Well, Jessica, first, great question. I was really hoping we'd do a whole show about that sometime, but with this big bag of mail to go through, so uh, let's leave that for another day. Uh, Devin writes, Dear Bud, I have a question for AKC I've wanted to ask for a long time. But first, can you answer Jessica's question about recognizing a dog breed? Thanks, Devin, but really, that's a whole episode, and I should get to these. Marta writes, Dear Bud Bacone, why can't you answer Jessica's question? It sounds pretty cool. <laughs> uh, okay. From Anton. I'm with Marta. Answer Jessica's question. Okay, I smell the coffee. All right, settle in, and I'll tell you what it takes for a dog breed to be recognized by the AKC, how the process works, how we got here, now there's a story, and exactly what that recognition means to the dogs and dog lovers. It's not the dog that needs training, but the owner. I am 50% pointer. There it is. There it is. There it is. The American Kennel Club. Lady boy. Toto two. Toto two. And of course, Lassie. Down and back. Stories from the AKC archives. With Bud Bacone. As I speak these words, the American Kennel Club recognizes 195 breeds. This just in. 197 breeds of dogs. When you consider there are hundreds more, perhaps thousands of internationally established breeds, you get the idea that AKC recognition isn't taken lightly. In fact, recognition can help nurture and support both a breed and its fanciers. As our friend Erica Wyatt of the American Slugi Association will tell you, it can also be a key to breed preservation. Her club's story is a good place to start. Though the Slugi's story dates back many centuries, it wasn't until 1973 that the first of its breed came to the U.S. Less than a decade after that, came the first born in the U.S. litter. Now, however magnificent the sleek sighthound is, she's not your idea of the central casting, fetch your slippers, play with the kids in the pool family dog. This is an ancient hunter who we'll get to know better a little later. And fanciers drawn to the slugi are themselves a breed apart. These fanciers are also relatively rare, which is one reason why the U.S. Slugi population would grow ever so slowly through the years. And as we'll learn a little later, that made it tricky for the breed to achieve 
AKC recognition. But first, a little background on how the recognition process came to be. As with any story about humans, it isn't all pretty. In the dog recognition beginning, there was chaos. By the 1880s, dog sports were all the rage, many having dog paddled across the Atlantic from the UK. Many resembled the dog sports enjoyed today, from obedience, agility, and coursing to herding, scenting, and confirmation, popularly known as dog shows. Trouble was, there were no uniform rules, no common sets of standards, no agreed list of eligible breeds. 1877 had seen the first New York bench show for dogs, the forerunner to today's famous Westminster Dog Show. 34 separate breeds were entered, the largest spread in classification America had seen. Its miscellaneous class was something of, well, a jumble, a pudding, a dog's breakfast. Its seven entries included Lion, a cross between a St. Bernard and a Russian Setter, and Nelly, born with just two front legs. As Mark Levinson wrote in the AKC Gazette, there were no fixed rules from club to club or even within a single show. Dogs who lost in one class could simply go on to the next. Breed classes appeared and disappeared seemingly at whim. They were arbitrarily defined and just as arbitrarily assigned to particular show classes. Consequently, judging was... uh, Pick your adjective, interesting, erratic, bewildering, random, mysterious, and clearly unsustainable. So it was that in 1884, representatives of 12 dog clubs met to tease order from the chaos. From this emerged a club of clubs, the American Kennel Club. It was fitting that one of their early meetings took place at Madison Square Garden. Those early gatherings were met with no end of verbal and very possibly literal pugilism as leading dog fanciers met to agree on rules and standards. Many were America's captains of industry at the apex of wealth and society. And in many of those meetings, they were badly in need of obedience training. Newspapers in those early days would report on stormy meetings under headlines such as dissension among dogmen with reports of heated discussions, allegations, resignations, and robust arguments. In the early 1890s, a falling out between members resulted in public accusations and a widely publicized libel suit with all the hallmarks of classic screwball comedy. A central player was the fourth president of the American Kennel Club, August Belmont Jr., whose day job was financier. He would go on to build the famous Belmont racetrack and finance the construction of New York's first subway. One marathon meeting in 1893 caused a Boston Globe reporter to zero in on the true cause of all the angst and ill will. The members were in continuous session from 1 o'clock in the afternoon until 10.30 at night, and it would have added greatly to the interests of harmony and good feeling if management had provided a little lunch and cigars for the comfort of those present. Friendly courtesies of this kind are not expensive and do much towards enhancing good fellowship. In kennel clubs of far less importance than the governing body of American dogdom, 
This has been tried and not found wanting. It's woeful failure to provide lunch and cigars notwithstanding. That early AKC made an important acquisition. Noted dog fancier Dr. Nicholas Rowe donated his three-volume stud book. Hmm. Uh, email from Holly. What's a stud book? Well, Holly, around here, a stud book is a listing of dogs that have sired or produced a litter that has been registered with the AKC. With this information, a person can use stud book volumes to trace a dog's lineage and to produce pedigrees. It would also become a vital component of the breed recognition process. The American Kennel Club has become keeper of stud books for its recognized breeds, which are shared through monthly published updates. Because Dr. Rowe was a sporting dog enthusiast, that group was prominent in those stud books and became the first breeds, uh, can I say, recognized or at least associated with the American Kennel Club. And the first of those sporting breeds was this girl, the Pointer, which is pointing us straight at an AKC breed biography, Maestro. The breed's name is its job description, Pointers Point Game Birds, and they have been pointing for centuries. This high-energy pointer is an excellent runner's companion and the ultimate expression of canine power and grace. As unquestioned aristocrats of the sporting world, pointers carry themselves proudly and are capable of great speed and agility. The coat comes in several colors, solid or in patterns, but as the breed's devotees like to say, a good pointer can't be a bad color. In the days before rifles, British pointing dogs hunted hares in tandem with coursing hounds. The pointer would find and indicate prey, and the hounds gave chase. In the 1700s, with the rise of wing shooting, the pointer became a devoted and durable gun dog. By its place atop that early stud book, the pointer is listed as the first ever breed recognized by the American Kennel Club. Next time you happen to be by the Westminster Dog Show, check out the Kennel Club's logo. That's not just a pointer. That's sensation. Back in 1876, the Westminster Kennel Club was a gentleman's shooting organization. That's when a fellow named George DeForest Grant was commissioned to have a pointer set from England to help breed dogs in America. Using prehistoric internet, Grant went to work. Dear England, how are you? I'm fine. Now what he got back was a photograph of Don, a pointer with a resume packed with championships. Once in the U.S., Don was renamed Sensation and was promptly registered in Volume 1 of Westminster's Stud Book. Here, he won championships in Baltimore, St. Louis, and Boston. Yet, job number one for Sensation was to strengthen the breeding stock of the club's members. Now, he was a handsome dog, colored lemon and white and but don't take our word for it. His likeness was taken many times and became the emblem of the Westminster Kennel Club, part of the club's logo and the cover of its show catalog for a century and a half. Meanwhile, back in the 1990s, 
Slugies struggle to get a paw hold in America. A singular breed requires a singular type of dog fancier, which brings us to one of the keys to nurturing an unrecognized breed. Humans. In this case, there were enough Slugie owners and enough genetic diversity to ensure the breed's integrity. Still, recognition takes time, and there's good reason for this. One of the criteria is a documented history, including pedigrees going back at least 40 years. Now, here's the thing. During any four decades, something happens. The Earth, spinning on its axis, circles the sun, and those dedicated Slugie owners age and need to pass the mantle to a new generation, preserving any breed, especially as rare a breed as the Slugie requires what Erica Wyatt calls an adequate human base. People with the dedication and resources to nurture these wonderful animals to a healthy, thriving population. That's especially important with a lean, swift sighthound who just as soon chase prey across the desert as fetch your pipe and slippers. Now, at the same time, it's vital for breed recognition that a club has a given geographical distribution to demonstrate that it's truly a national club. In time, the small but mighty American Slugie population grew and would soon forge a vital partnership with the American Kennel Club, which itself had come a long way since the turn of the 20th century. Back then, AKC meetings were still something of a contact sport, but slowly, gradually, the winds began to calm. A growing number of breeds were entered into the AKC stud book from Borzois and various terriers to the Whippet and the French Bulldog. Two things happened that had helped ease the tension. One was a revamping of the rules surrounding the miscellaneous class of breeds. Remember the Lion Cross and Nelly with just the two front legs? Until then, miscellaneous class was the sock drawer for most any dog that wasn't part of an established breed. Witness a case at a show in Worcester where a dog entered as an old-fashioned Scotch Collie was awarded a prize in the miscellaneous class. Later, the award had been canceled by the show official on the grounds that there was no such breed. While the official was technically correct, the incident created a fresh round of debate in club meetings and was all the talk in the dog papers. And yes, Virginia, there were dog papers, then and now, including our own AKC Gazette. Finally, it was decided to allow the award, but in future, bar from the miscellaneous class all dogs except those of breeds eligible for registration. The stud book committee was ordered to make up such a list. You could only hope they had lunch and cigars. And from that time on, no dog was registered that was not on their breed list. In 1898, the rule was clarified. It would now be less a catch-all and more of a destination for the more exotic and uncommon breeds that don't have enough show entries to receive individual classes. Now, the second calming influence came about four years later. The AKC released its first formal list of acknowledged breeds. And while the list might have been a beautiful thing, the process, not so much. But as we'll soon learn, 
the miscellaneous class would take on a new importance on that long road to breed recognition. Early 20th century was about world wars, the automobile and aeroplane, broadcast, and dogs. And Red Heart, America's favorite dog food, team up for The Lassie Show. The number of dog fanciers and the popularity of dog sports continue to rise. And at AKC, the process of breed recognition, though scrutinized by highly skilled dog fanciers, remained informal. Lengthy transcripts of meetings and debates filled volumes of the AKC Gazette as debates raged about recognizing a given breed. And that was the final word. By the 1950s, a new approach to recognition was adopted when the AKC determined that a place in the miscellaneous class could now serve as a path to breed recognition. It's a half-century-ish later, 1997, and things are looking up for the Slugie. There are still relatively few dogs in the U.S., but that's about the time Slugie owners decided to forge a partnership with the American Kennel Club. The hope was that the Slugie might, in time, be admitted to the miscellaneous class, and later it could receive breed recognition. It's a page-turner. An early welcome tool was AKC's Foundation Stock Service, or FSS, with that, the AKC effectively serves as keeper of registrations for a breed that might not have a large steady base or even a club at all. Through the FSS, an aspiring breed can maintain a stud book and participate in AKC companion events. For the slugie, that meant participating, among other things, in lore coursing, obedience, rally, and agility. One important rule, um, ah, here it is. It says to protect breeds that are already recognized by the AKC, the Foundation Stock Service will not accept any dogs that result from crossing two AKC registrable breeds. Neither is FSS open to breeds that are a variation of an already established breed. Now, in time, the Slugie gained enough traction in America to be named in 2011 to the miscellaneous class. Today, there are some 11 breeds in this class. To get there, the breed must have a minimum 150 dogs with three-generation pedigrees in its stud book. See what kind of lingo you've learned today? And to avoid disputes, the breed must have a single U.S.-based parent club, a rule born of lessons learned in those early days when rival clubs would bicker and spar. In 2016, five years later and 43 years after the first Slugie set paw on our shores, the breed achieved AKC recognition, and not without incredible efforts of dedicated owners and a hardworking club with the support of AKC. It was one of three breeds recognized that year, the others being the Pumi and the American Hairless Terrier. Today, Erica Wyatt estimates there are 170 Slugies in America, a number that may top 200 by the end of 2021. A great start, though Erica confesses that once that number tops 600 or so, she'll sleep that much better. 
end with an agreement with La Saite Centrale Canine Marocain. Uh, let's try that one again. And with an agreement with La Saite La Saite Centrale. La Saita Centrale Canine. Close. Centrale Canine Marocain. You know what? I'll just fix it. AKC's Moroccan counterpart, more slugies with proper documentation and pedigrees are being imported, one of several steps to help ensure its preservation. All that is good reason, if ever there was one, to double dip with this episode's second AKC breed biography, Professor. The ancient slugi, nicknamed the Arabian Greyhound, is a lean, swift coursing hound who hunted a variety of game in North African deserts. This classic sighthound is regally aloof with strangers and gentle with loved ones. A classically constructed sighthound of ancient lineage, the slugi was originally bred to work on such game as hare, fox, jackal, gazelle, and wild pigs on the punishing terrain of its homeland. This is a lean, no-frills hound, a favored hunting companion of Egyptian nobles, Berber kings, and nomadic chieftains. The slugi's big, dark eyes are often described as melancholy, and it's theorized that Berber cavalrymen who accompanied Hannibal during his famous crossing of the Alps might have introduced the slugi to Europe. Slugies in Europe and the USA descend from dogs imported from Morocco, Tunisia, Libya, and Algeria. On the 2020 list of AKC's recognized breeds, the Slugie ranked very near the bottom in popularity, eking out the Harrier and just south of the Grand Basset Griffon Vendéon. And that suits Slugie fanciers such as Erica Wyatt just fine. Its association with AKC has really been about preserving and nurturing this lean, elegant hunter. And there, Jessica, a quick AKC tour of how breed recognition works. In retrospect, I'm sorry this episode doesn't come with lunch and cigars. Down and Back. Stories from the AKC Archives. Visit akc.org to learn more about all things dog and find bonus materials for this episode. Follow the AKC on Instagram at American Kennel Club. On Twitter at AKC Dog Lovers. And let us know what you thought of the show. Founded in 1884, many dog years ago, The American Kennel Club is the recognized and trusted expert in breeds, health, and training. We advocate for responsible dog ownership and are dedicated to advancing dog sports. Research for Down and Back provided by the AKC Library and Archives, the only national repository dedicated to the sport and enjoyment of the purebred dog. Learn more about the collections at akc.org slash library. No humans were harmed while making this show.